Chapter 9, verse 13. <clears throat> Chapter is entitled, The Passing Away of Bhishma Dev. Sangstite <clears throat> Tirate Pandho. Prita bhala praja vadu. Yusmat krite bahan kleshan. Prabhta tokavati mahu. Sangstite tirate pando. Rita Bala Prajavadhu Yushmat Krite Bahun Kleshan Rapta Tokavati Mahu Muhu Sangstite Tirate Pandau Rita Bala Prajavadhu Yushmat Krite Bahun Kleshan Prabhta Tokavati Muhu Sangstite 
after the demise, Atirate, of the great general, Pando, Pandu, Prita, Kunti, Bala Praja, having young children, Vadhu, my daughter-in-law, Yushmat Krite, on your account, Bahun, multifarious, Kleshan, afflictions, Prapta, underwent, Tokavati, in spite of having grown up boys, Muhu, constantly. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada Gita. As far as my daughter-in-law Kunti is concerned, upon the great General Pandu's death, she became a widow with many children, and therefore she suffered greatly. And when you were grown up, she suffered a great deal more also because of your actions. The sufferings of Kunti Devi are doubly lamented. She suffered greatly because of early widowhood and to get her minor children brought up in the royal family. And when her children were grown up, she continued to suffer because of her son's actions. So her sufferings continued. This means that she was destined to suffer by providence and this one has to tolerate without being disturbed. Was born in the darkest of ignorance, my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge because of his uh, unlimited compassion and sacrifice to awaken the sleeping souls in this material world, I offer my obeisances unto him. So the passing away of Bhishma Dev, um, in this chapter, uh, Bhishma Dev is about to speak to the assembled, um, to the assembly of rishis and uh, elevated souls who had gathered at that spot, learning that he was about to leave his body. Um, it's explained that Bhishma Dev waited for this moment just to see justice done. Um, this is also part of his, his mood uh, as a Kshatriya, that, uh, wanting to see justice. What was the justice? Um, Yudhisthira is being reinstated in, in his uh, natural position. Um, and he appreciated Yudhisthira's, as uh, in the last verse yesterday, uh, Yudhisthira's mentality it was being spoken about how Yudhisthira, because he was, he was not desiring, um, he was, he was not desiring such a position. He didn't want the political glory and fame. 
because he was a you know pure devotee. So he lamented actually greatly because all of this was happening um, simply for him to be reinstated in his you know natural position. So he was lamenting actually from the core of his heart very naturally. Um, so Bhishma Dev also was encouraging him that no, this is. You have to be a little objective. It's not just about you. This is, you know, what Krishna wanted. And, you know, you just have to play your role in it. So Bhishma Dev wanted to see the justice of the justice, you know, that Yudhisthira was being reinstated. Um, and he was encouraging Yudhisthira. And he actually instructed, he stayed in that state um, on the bed of arrows on the battlefield for 56 days instructing the gathered sadhus and sages and rishis and munis who had come to hear from Krishna had also come with the Pandavas. Um, and he instructed them on the... He instructed Yudhisthira, it was directed specifically to Yudhisthira also for the um, instructions on how to you know, properly rule as a Raja Rishi, a you know, saintly king. So here in this chapter, Bhishma Dev is about to speak, give his final instructions before leaving the body. So as he's starting here, he's... So in this verse, he's talking about the suffering that the um, Pandavas and Kunti Devi had undergone in their life. So we're going to talk about, and then Prabhupada in the purport brings out this point about destiny and providence and learning to tolerate whatever you have been given. So we're going to talk about tolerance. We're going to talk about duality and suffering. In the practice of Krishna consciousness, how does this uh, how does this look in the practice of Krishna consciousness? So, so tolerance, uh, Bhagavad Gita, chapter 214, we might all know this verse. It's one of the core verses, Matrasparshas to Kuntaya. She tushna sukha dukkada agama paino nityastam tikshashva paratha. Might have grabbed that off. So, um, the non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress and their disappearance in due course are like the appearance and disappearance of the winter and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception and one has to learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. So this is a core instruction Krishna was giving Arjuna. How to tolerate Tolerance is very important in our practice of Krishna consciousness. So, nectar of instruction, first verse, the very first verse, talks also about a little bit more detailed about what what exactly are we tolerating. Pull up 
the nectar of devotion. Acha Vegam, Manasa Kroda Vegam, Jiva Vegam, Uttara Pasta Vegam, Etan Vegan Yo Vishaheta Dira, Sarvam Apinam Pritivim Sashishat. A sober person who can tolerate the urge to speak, the mind's demands, the actions of anger, and the urges of the tongue, belly, and genitals is qualified to make disciples all over the world. So very first verse, very first verse of nectar and instruction, before you can go anywhere else, this is life's great challenge for any human being. Say human being because the animals don't have the facility to do this. They follow whatever their senses do. No questions. And there shouldn't be because there's no facility for them to question. But for every human being, this is life's great challenge. This is the goal of human life, is to conquer these urges because before that, there's no possibility of practicing devotional service. <clears throat> so very first verse of Nectar of Instruction. And also the verse that Krishna is saying to Arjuna is in the second chapter. It's in the very beginning of Krishna then stepping up to the position as as guru. First chapter is all about what's happening, but the second chapter is when Arjuna actually says, "Wow, I can't figure this out on my own, so I need you know I need some help here." And that's when Krishna steps up and says, "Okay, all right." So then, one of the first things he says to learn to tolerate. You have to tolerate the mind, the senses. And again, in this verse, <coughs> Prabhupada is making that verse, or this in the purport. So, so this is the great challenge of life. So tolerating in devotional service. How does that look for us um, as practicing devotees? So we have the um, we have the understanding that okay, um, I need to control the mind and the senses um, in the course of my practice of devotional service. So there's another um, verse in the Bhagavatam that helps us understand how we can tolerate what what is more now the mood, what is more. Now, the psychology of how do we tolerate um, these things. So that's in the 10th canto, 14th chapter, 8th verse. Uh, and this is Brahma speaking. My dear Lord, one who earnestly waits for you to bestow your causeless mercy upon him, 
all the while patiently suffering the reactions of his past misdeeds and offering you respectful obeisances with his heart, words, and body is surely eligible for liberation, for it has become his rightful claim. The word su samik shamana indicates that a devotee earnestly awaits the mercy of the Supreme Lord even while suffering the painful effects of previous sinful activities. Lord Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita that a devotee who fully surrenders unto him is no longer liable to suffer the reactions of his previous karma. However, because in his mind, a devotee may still maintain the remnants of his previous sinful mentality, the Lord removes the last vestiges of the enjoying spirit by giving his devotee punishments that may sometimes resemble sinful reactions. The whole purpose of the entire creation of God is to rectify the living entity's tendency to enjoy without the Lord. So, Prabhupada sometimes gives the analogy of the fan. The fan is running... Uh, when we surrender, you know, to Krishna, it's like unplugging the fan. Fan will still go for a while with the electricity, the current that's still running through. It could take some time. Um, so there's still some remnants uh, in the mind of that enjoying spirit that is actually the result of sinful activities. Um, it's 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 the seed the bija karma. And that does take some time to be burned out by the practice of, of Krishna consciousness. But it's this, um, yeah, it's this enjoying mentality that we have, that we want to put ourselves in the center, that I'm the one that, you know, I'm the one that, that deserves. And this is the wrong mentality. So, um, and nine times out of ten, that, Putting the self in the center is the sense gratification. So to enjoy through the senses or the mind, you either on the gross level you enjoy something or on the subtle level you're enjoying something. But this is what keeps us bound in the material world. So to um, to come out of that mentality is, is what we are practicing as devotees. But we're going to see that in the course of our practice we're, we are kind of still suffering um, the results of our sinful reactions, but we tolerate it. Um, and like this verse is very nice because it's all the while waiting. We know that Krishna is going to come through on His word that He says, "If you, you know, if you do surrender to Me, then I will take care of you. Don't, no doubt, you will come to Me." So Krishna said that we know it. So. We hold on to that as we navigate through the um, the turbulent waters of the material world. And we hold on to that, all the while patiently suffering the reactions of his past misdeeds, and at the same time offering you respectful obeisances within his heart. 
So those two things we tolerate, and at the same time we, in our heart, we offer obeisances to Krishna. That yes, this is, you know, this is the process. But uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for your mercy. So this is a tolerance in the practice of Krishna consciousness because we know that we have to tolerate the mind, the urges and the demands of the mind and the body. We have to tolerate them, not give in to them. So um, so Sukha Dukkha. Sukha Dukkha, this is the, so, Shitoshna Sukha Dukkha Da. So this world is characterized by duality. Um, and in that Bhagavad Gita verse 2.14, Krishna says, um, these dualities arise from sense perception. So what does that mean? That means that uh, the duality characteristic of the material world, it becomes manifest through us as icca So we like something, we don't like something. And then sometimes we like something and then the very same thing later gives us distress and we don't like it. So it's a constant duality um, caused by sense perception. Something we like now, something we don't like now. So this is all on the mental platform, the Ichadvesha. So this is duality. Duality also... um, Duality also manifests in the sense of pious and impious. So we may say, well... You know, because uh, many people may not accept religion, even in human life, and they say, well, I don't have to accept religion, I just have to be a good person. And I believe that that's enough, you know, I just have to be a good person, I have to follow the rules of life and be a good citizen, and, and that's that's enough, you know. So they create this... Um, duality of piety and impiety. And um, actually, in the practice of devotional service, we don't even consider, we consider that as just, again, being part of the duality of the material world. So there's a nice prayer, Nartam Das Thakur. I think it's from Parthana, but I don't remember. Oh, my mind. So he's, again, because we have to, Work with the mind. Oh, my mind, you should know this for certain, that the dualities of sin and piety are all temporary. Wealth and followers are all false. You do not know where you will go after death. You do not feel pain about this, and still you continue with your sinful activities. Oh, mind, Do not indulge in sinful activities because sinners are most fallen. Give up bad association from a distance. Although piety is the abode of material happiness, yet do not strive for it. Give up the desire for piety, opulence, and liberation. 
Millions of wives and children have been born and died, yet still you are not careful. My mind is constantly burning without the association of pure devotees. There is no end to my misfortune as I was, as I am absorbed in misconception and my heart is filled with distress. So, in the prayer of this great devotee, you can see that he's not even looking for happiness in the material world. And he goes on in this prayer to, to glorify the holy name and how that by chanting the holy name one gets everything desired. But it's interesting how in this prayer he he is condemning both pious and impious activities. So from this uh, perspective of a person, of a great devotee who is absorbed in um, serving Krishna, Radha and Krishna, we can see that all of the dualities in the material world are not uh, desirable at all. That uh, a devotee simply wants devotional service And in the Bhajanam Mahatmya, which is uh, um, quoted in um, Rupa Goswami's Padyavali, there's a, a text aid of the Bhajanam Mahatmya. Um, there is a verse about how devotional service, the glory of devotional service, that's what Bhajanam Mahatmya translates as the glory of devotional service. Devotional service as being the, the highest attainment for, for a human being above the dualities of pious and impious activities. <clears throat> this is a nice verse for a person who's, uh, if you're familiar with Krishna's pastimes. Where was the hunter Mara's piety, Dhruva's maturity, and Gajendra's knowledge? Where was Kubja's beauty? Where was Sudama's wealth? Where was Vidura's noble birth? Where was Ugrasena's chivalrous strength? Lord Madhava is pleased only by devotional service and not material qualifications. So this verse is indirectly glorifying these devotees, but really we know that the only auspiciousness or could say qualification in a devotee's life is Krishna's mercy. And when somebody has Krishna's mercy, this is, uh, this is the real auspiciousness. In, so going back to the point that um, people make about being a good person um, as being enough to fulfill the human goal of life, um, according uh, we we would look accordingly to the story of uh, King Runriga in um, 
Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 64, you might know the story that he was a great king who was very pious and he was um, giving lots of charity and then on one occasion he inadvertently gave a brahmana's cow away in charity and the brahmana came looking for the cow and it caused kind of a disturbance and he was actually cursed for that. So we'll read a little bit from uh, Prabhupada, or that's not Prabhupada, but from the purport. So as the story goes, um, he actually, he had to take birth as a lizard. And when Krishna's sons were playing in the forest one day, they found him in a well. And because of his elevated birth, he was able to communicate and remember his past lives. It was a momentary punishment that he had to suffer for this inadvertent um transgression that he did by giving away a brahmana's cow to another brahmana and then being cursed. So it it just kind of shows how delicate is the path of karma and pious activity and how merciless it is. Um, So in the purport here it says, it is clear it is clear that King Nriga considered such piety to be a separate goal desirable for its own sake. Thus, he did not fully appreciate pure devotional service to Lord Krishna. Krishna had not been the only goal of Nriga's life, and he, as was, for, as it was for Ambarish Maharaj, even in the stage of regulative practice. Nor do we find that King Nriga overcame obstacles like Ambarish did when Durvasa Muni became angry at him. So Srila Prabhupada confirms the above analysis in Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He had not developed Krishna consciousness. Krishna conscious person develops love of God, Krishna, not love for pious or impious activities. Therefore, he is not subjected to the results of such action. As stated in the Brahma Sanghita, a devotee, by the grace of God, does not become subjected to the resultant reactions of fruitive activities. So this is the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita, that um, by doing your activity for the pleasure of Krishna, you don't become entangled in the result of it. So being a good person or... Uh, striving for pious activities is um, is not. It's still within the the realm of duality in the material world, so it's not actually the practice of devotional service. So, practice of devotional service uh, entails um, uh, tolerating you know, tolerating whatever inauspiciousness comes as a result and not trying to adjust the situation. So tolerance of the dualities that we experience in our life for the higher principle of trying to engage in devotional service. 
So then suffering, because Kunti Devi's suffering in this verse is really what's being highlighted. <clears throat> we may say, well, this is a, a tall order. I have to tolerate my mind and senses and they're with me 24 hours a day and how um, how is this possible? I don't feel... Even Arjuna said to Krishna, I, I think what you're saying to me is impractical. I, I can't, you know, I can't figure out how to do this. It, it's like the waves on the ocean, they just don't stop. Or the wind, what does he say? Like the, the wind, it just doesn't stop. So, so then the question uh, comes up, well, what if, what if we can't always tolerate How do we constantly tolerate? So here's a nice verse, another verse from the Bhagavatam, 5th Canto, 18th chapter, 4th verse. <clears throat> so this is the verse itself. O oh, unborn one, learned Vedic scholars who are advanced in spiritual knowledge certainly know that this material world is perishable, as do other logicians and philosophers Moonies. In trance, in samadhi, they realize the factual position of this world and they preach the truth as well. Yet even they are sometimes bewildered by your illusory energy. This is your own wonderful pastime. Therefore, I can understand that your illusory very powerful and I offer my respectful obeisance <clears throat> Not only does the illusory energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead act on the conditioned soul within this material world, but sometimes it also acts on the most advanced scholars who know the constitutional position of this material world through realization. As soon as someone thinks, I am this material body, ahammameti, and everything in relationship with the body is mine, he is in illusion. This illusion caused by the material energy acts especially on the conditioned souls, but it sometimes also acts on liberated souls as well. A liberated soul is a person who has sufficient knowledge of this material world and is therefore unattached to the bodily conception of life. But, because of association with the modes of material nature for a very long time, even liberated souls sometimes become captivated by the illusory energy due to inattentiveness to the transcendental position. Everyone should therefore very cautiously execute devotional service and remain fixed at the lotus feet of the Lord. Otherwise, a little inattention can create havoc. So Prabhupada in the purport here makes the point that, okay, so first of all, we know what the goal is. Okay, tolerate the mind and the senses. Okay, then we know, okay, so uh, we're practicing this. We know that we tolerate these urges. At the same time, we suffer our reactions. We're calling out to Krishna for help. Then... 
Um, sometimes we see that, you know, illusion is coming towards us, whatever, and then, or even, it says even, both the conditioned souls and even sometimes the liberated souls. But here Prabhupada is making the point, inattention, this is the 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 danger on the on the the path of of uh, our practice inattention <clears throat> so why does a devotee or a liberated soul or a conditioned soul why does anybody why does anybody sometimes uh fall into illusion um well it's it's due to um sometimes offenses also as I said, that due to offenses, a person can fall down. But we do say at the end of that that uh, the ten offenses, and then it's also an offense to be inattentive while chanting. So, so this aspect of inattention is kind of maybe like a precursor that this could be something to you know um, be mindful about. Um, Previous bad habits, some scars, negative some scars. These are all reasons why people do um, uh, experience um, um, falling into illusion, and then again suffering some kind of uh, reaction for their. So, but we do have to understand that the suffering that the devotees undergo uh, is very different than the suffering of the conditioned souls. And this is explained clearly in the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, fifth canto, 19th verse. Um, Narada Muni is talking to Vyasadeva and he says, My dear Vyas, even though a devotee of Lord Krishna sometimes falls down somehow or other, he certainly does not undergo material existence like others. Because a person who has once relished the taste of the lotus feet of the Lord, can do nothing but remember that ecstasy again and again. So the suffering of devotees, The suffering, I guess what Prabhupada says here, a devotee of the Lord automatically becomes uninterested in the enchantment of material existence because he is rasagraha, or one who has tasted the sweetness of the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. There are certainly many instances where devotees of the Lord have fallen down due to uncongenial association, just like fruit of workers, who are always prone to degradation. But even though he falls down, a devotee is never to be considered the same as a fallen karmi. Karmi suffers the result of his own fruitive reactions, whereas a devotee is reformed directly by the Lord himself. Sufferings of an orphan and the sufferings of a beloved child of a king are not one and the same. So in other words... In colloquial English, we say, Krishna's got you. Krishna, you are not an orphan. And in other places in, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Prabhupada uses this, this analogy of, of the orphan, that we as devotees, 
even sometimes we may not feel we may not be able to see let's just say we not be we may not be able to see how krishna is working in our life we may not understand it we may be covered by lower modes and we can't see it but actually Prabhupada is reassuring us that krishna has got you every step of your path and he's guiding you and he's giving you exactly what you need to be free from that enjoying mentality that keeps you bound in this material world. It's for this reason only that we're here. We have some kind of idea that we can enjoy something through the senses or through the mind. We have that misconception and therefore we're still hunting and looking for it in the material world. So Krishna, as a loving father, says, okay, here I give you I give you all opportunities to try. But at the end, Chaitanya Charitamrita explains that if one of, uh, if Krishna's devotee still desires something in the material world, he undoubtedly gives it. But he gives it in such a way that the devotee understands its the nature and part of that entails suffering so but the suffering of a devotee is we have to understand it's not it's very different in quality so we have to understand the nature of the suffering of a devotee it's not the same we're not orphans krishna is guiding us and giving us opportunities at every moment so we talked about tolerance, we talked about the dualities in the material world, we talked about suffering. And I'll read the verse again about Kunti Devi's suffering. As far as my daughter-in-law Kunti is concerned, upon the great General Pandu's death, she became a widow with many children, and therefore she suffered greatly. And when you were grown up, she's, you were grown up because she's talking to Yudhisthira and the Pandavas. He's talking to you to stand in front of him. And when you were grown up, she suffered a great deal more also because of your actions. So, um, comments, contributions. Thank you for the nice class, Mataji. So, uh, I was thinking about this point of suffering. Uh, so, sometimes even we see, like even amidst us, devotees are suffering for various reasons. So, as uh, devotees, as since we are devotees staying in the same community as those devotees, what do you think we should do when we see... Uh, devotees go through very difficult situations, even like as I speak right now, there are uh, such situations. What would you say to that? 
Well, the first thing that comes to mind is being a counselor because I'm also a trained social worker. The worst thing that you can do for a person when they are suffering is tell them, just be happy. It's like putting a salt inside of a cut. (laughs) So that's the worst thing that you can do. So that's speaking from my social worker persona. (laughs) Now speaking from my devotional identity, glorify Krishna. Glorify devotional service. We don't care about the dualities of sin and piety. We don't care about material happiness as devotees. That is not our goal. Our goal is to serve Krishna no matter what condition of life we're in. So glorify devotional service. Glorify Krishna. Hear and chant. Do kirtan. This is what Naratam Das Thakur is saying. He's saying, my mind is burning. My mind is constantly burning without the association of pure devotees. There is no end to my misfortune as I am absorbed in misconception and my heart is filled with distress. Lord Chaitanya, you know this pastime of the Gambira in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Lord Chaitanya was constantly lamenting, I don't have Krishna. Where can I find Krishna? So as devotees, we, we're not interested in material happiness, piety, or sin. We're not interested in any dualities of the material world. We want devotional service in any condition of life. So I would just, if it were me and I were in that situation, I would just glorify Krishna and I would glorify the practice of devotional service personally. Story. The uh, there's a picture that goes with it of Bhishma Dev lying on the arrows, and we sort of, you know, we look at that picture and say, "Well, that's he's doing fine." You know, he's there. He's speaking his philosophy. All these great sages are there, but those are those are arrows. And, there, and he's not, it's not like a, just a bed of nails. He's, those arrows are stuck inside of him. Many of them deep, deep inside, through the uh, arteries. And the, you, know, you look at that, you, you look at it twice, you think, well, you know, that's got to hurt. Mm-hmm. But yet, he's not complaining a bit. And it's just such an amazing... Uh, exhibition of tolerance. We wonder how how much can we tolerate? Like, is there a criterion mm. of uh, where you, of tolerance versus uh, trying to fix something? You know, like, can I pull some of those arrows out of your back? This is a great point. Actually, I was thinking about that point, but I didn't speak about it. Because 
you're right. There's only so much a person can tolerate. And then Krishna has to take over. And actually, um, in that class that I was hearing, <clears throat> it said because Krishna was there. Krishna was there. He came with the Pandavas to hear from Bhishma Dev, And he actually gave him the benediction that he wouldn't feel anything. In other words, by the grace of Krishna, Bhishma Dev wasn't experiencing any pain. And this is reminiscent of the pastime of Haridas Thakur, when he was beaten in how many marketplaces? Twenty marketplaces. When Haridas, so Haridas Thakur was chanting uh, in public, and the um, the, the Nawab said, stop, you're, you're a false preacher and if you don't stop this, I'm going to punish you in front of everybody so that you will learn your lesson. Haridas Thakur said, no, I, I will not stop. So they, they beat him. Two, minute, two people took them and they beat him. And Lord Chaitanya, so they finally left them for dead. They said, look, if, if you're not... If you don't die, we're going to get in trouble. Haridas Thakur then went into Samadhi. They left him for dead. They might have thrown him in the Ganga. I don't remember exactly. But they left him for dead because there was no external consciousness. Afterwards, Lord Chaitanya and Haridas Thakur met. He said, "I, I don't know. I didn't feel anything. And then Lord Chaitanya showed him and Lord Chaitanya had the marks on his back that Lord Chaitanya had taken on that suffering for his devotee so his devotee wouldn't... That's why we say the sufferings of a devotee, we have to understand them. They're not the same as a materialistic person. Krishna is always protecting us. He's always giving that mercy. It's not the same. And as far as tolerating, I was thinking of the that beautiful bhajan that we sing in Vrindavan every morning. So one of them describes Krishna as Chitta Hari Vangshidhari. So Chitta Hari. So we may say, oh, I'm just tolerating the waves of duality in the material world. But actually, Chitta Hari, Krishna is described as, as Hari means one who takes away or steals. In this, in this, it's, it's, it's translated here as, um, he steals the hearts of all and always holds a flute. So Chitta Hari, Vangshid Hari that at a certain point, it's not even a matter of tolerating anymore. It's that Krishna, Manahari, Chittahari, that he actually steals away our heart and mind so much so that when we're absorbed in him and thinking about him, it doesn't even feel like tolerating anymore. But that's at the level of, you know, absorption. You have to be absorbed, samadhi. You know. um, when you were just...
Yes, okay. So when you were speaking about tolerating, um, just this devotee came to my mind because she, she was this devotee named Rudrani. She's left her body now, but when her sister joined the movement and then she joined, and she was really young, like 21 or something, and she went on traveling Sankirtan and they got into like a terrible car accident. And somehow it triggered in her body, like the result of the car accident was that she got this like very, very severe arthritis, this really severe form of arthritis that her fingers curled up and her feet curled up and she was in a wheelchair. Like her body just really stopped working very well. But it was the time when like you'd go out on Sankirtan like eight hours a day and her sister was a Sankirtan leader like hardcore. (laughs) So she would like take her out and like just leave her out, out, out on the street and she was just like suffering so much but like doing book distribution and but it was hard and it was hard for her mind and everything. So they wrote a letter to Prabhupada and they said, This is what happened to this young this young girl and she's um, going through all these health challenges and um, what do you what do you think? Like, you know, she's a Sankirtan devotee and she's he just told her you just need to tolerate. That's what he told her, to tolerate. Well, she took this I swear, she must have taken it as like her heart and soul, like instruction from Prabhupada. She tolerated. And she, at one point, she went to South India to like an Ayurvedic clinic. And she um, had this like amazing Ayurvedic doctor there who was just a really sweet devotee. He ended up marrying her because he was like, no one's going to take care of her as well as she needs. And him and his sister from also South India, they moved to Canada and they like, lived all together, and they, all three of them, like, pure devotees, I think, but the one, uh, Rudrani, she, so many years, like, she had these, you know, at, at the end, she didn't have a wheelchair, she, but she could barely walk, and she had, like, such health challenges, sometimes she'd have, like, a migraine headache for three days that she had to just stay in, like, a dark room, and, like, but I never heard her once say anything about her health issues, I don't even think she ever told me, like, the story of her health at all. It never came up. She was always, always thinking of others, always, like so much to the point that um, she never left her room practically, only to do Tulsi service because they, they ran the Tulsi greenhouses in Vancouver. So she would come out uh, like once a week to do that. But otherwise, she was in her house. She could, you know, barely walk around. But... She was just like in this consciousness that you would never imagine, like always cheerful, always just like asking about you. And like, and then um, when she passed away, I went to the hospital to see her. And at that moment, she was like lying in bed. It was a terrible moment to come, but it was, it kind of really was a good lesson for me. I guess um, at this point, like her body was just like, you know, filling up with liquid and she was totally breaking down. And um, she had this like, hole in her throat because of, you know, <laughs> the kind of graphic. But she had this hole in her throat to, to ha- allow air. And at the moment when I came in, I saw her. She's lying on the bed. She's, like, coughing, <laughs> and, like, blood is coming out through her, like, you know, this, this try whatever it is called. And she just, like, looked at me in my eyes and with this, like, sweet, like, look. And she said, like, I can't talk right now. <laughs> she, like, mouthed that. And she said, I love you. And I was like, wow, she's not in her body. Like, this is, there's all these doctors around her, and, like, she's just totally, like, not there. And then 
I realized like her tolerating her condition her whole life was uh, allowed her to just completely like sail through these last moments. Mm-hmm. And when she when she left her body, I mean, the story is that like she she saw like Tulsi Devi was there. Like she was very absorbed with that service and um and also like it was in the BT or I think it was there was an article in the BTG and there was all these devotees all around the world writing saying how she touched their life and this lady was at home. <laughs> She wasn't traveling. She was years and years at home. But she would just keep in touch with people, and she was so thoughtful and always, uh, you know, counseling people. Like, she did what she could from her bed, basically. But just that instruction that Prabhupada gave her, she took very seriously, and her life became absolutely glorious because of it. So, I guess humans can do it if we just take that shelter of Krishna and know who I'm talking about? Oh, um, if you've ever heard of Mother Pajavali, this is, um, well, her sister, her, her lesser-known sister, Rudrani Devidasi, and her, her husband was Dr. Sananda, we called him, but he's an Ayurvedic doctor, Sananda Kumar, who was a Jai Patakaswami disciple, and he also left his body, and like he was also like very elevated in Vancouver, Canada. Yeah, they were very special devotees, but you could just see, and also he had lots of health challenges. He had this, like, one lung, and he had to, like, you know, go upside down every morning to train it. He was very, like, elevated devotee, too. Like, the body didn't matter to them at all. They, You could never tell they had any health challenges, but both of them were, like, very uh, challenged in that area. Right. Just like we heard in, 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 in Padyavali, Lord Madhava is pleased only by devotional service and not material qualifications. So whatever situation, do whatever you can. She must have been been experiencing some sweetness within meditating on the instruction of the spiritual master and doing what she could do in Krishna consciousness according to her situation. Inspiring. That's nice. All right, devotees, if there's nothing else, then thank you. Kantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Thank mm-hmm. you.